0: That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you.
1: You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. HRN is food radio supported by you. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org.
2: This episode is brought to you by Wisconsin Cheese. We've been making cheese in Wisconsin since before we were even a state which may be one reason why we win so many awards for it. It's what happens when a whole state dreams in cheese. Find your next favorite cheese at wisconsincheese.com.
1: Hey there, and welcome to the FeedFeed Feed podcast. I'm Alexis Santos. The FeedFeed Feed is the world's largest crowdsourced food publication and social media community, serving as your daily source for what to cook, bake, eat, and drink. Here on the podcast, we are speaking with members of the hashtag FeedFeed Feed community to hear their stories, learn about their culinary inspirations, and get some of their best cooking tips. Today, I'm so excited to be joined by Joe Nielsen, who is the general manager and director of winemaking at Ramsgate Winery. Ramsgate Winery is in Sonoma County, California. Joe has been involved in winemaking for about 20 years and still loves it just as much to this day. And I'm a big fan of wine myself, so I'm very excited to pick your brain about all things wine, Joe. Thank you so much for being here.
3: Thanks for having me.
1: Of course. So when did this passion of wine and this whole world kind of start for you? Take me back to the very beginning.
3: Sure. Um, it started off very, very simply. Um, I think a lot of us can, um, are familiar with sort of, uh, this feeling when you're a a kid, um, going into college, wanting to do something interesting with my life. Um, went to Michigan state university in, in Michigan, uh, thought I wanted to be a doctor. Um, but uh, came across this idea of grape growing, which was very foreign to me as a, as a kid. I didn't grow up around it um, or have family members that really drank wine. So um, when this came about, um, I saw that there was a winemaking program at Michigan State. Um, not at all in the path for becoming a, uh, a doctor, <laughs> um, but it was compelling enough and interesting enough to me that when my mom urged me to look at electives and not take myself so serious and only think about school that I kind of dabbled into some of these winemaking courses and um, it quickly evolved from something that was interesting to me that I was like obsessed um, and eventually changed my whole view on what I wanted to do with my life and kind of jumped in both feet at a very young age.
1: Yeah. What was it about it that kind of tickled your interest so much that, you know, more so, I mean, a a lot of people, you know, try wine and get interested in it, but not as many people, you know, pursue it as, you know, their life's work. So what really was it that kind of like hit home for you in such a way?
3: I think uh, from a very early standpoint, it's hard to like put myself back in my 18 year old shoes, but um, I think it was this idea that you could grow a product like that has, yeah, I think that was very simply like I could make something that someone else could enjoy that. And I didn't even know how to do winemaking or what that entailed. I just really loved the idea that you could sculpt a plant, you could manipulate a plant into a making something that can be bottled and and someone could drink it like 10, 20, 30 years later, and it still be enjoyable and pleasurable. I just thought that was, there's something very cool about that from a, from a, from my perspective. Um, I always liked plants, but I never thought I would do something professionally that had plants involved. So I think that was the, the first kind of thing that got me excited. I also love when I started learning about the wine industry, um, just how much, History and um, tradition that's been kind of passed generation to generation, and the world and the chemistry and all of those aspects that I already liked from a sort of medical perspective was alive and well. And the science around wine was relatively young and new. I mean, a lot of the wine science is post, you know, World War II, so mm-hmm. it's relatively young in that respect.
1: Cool. So yeah, you kind of really went for it. And So what did you do? What was kind of the first step after you graduated to kind of forging your way in this field?
3: Yeah, I would say it was even before graduating, I think where uh, my personality really takes hold is that I became interested in this. Um, I was told when I was interested in it at first that I was not old enough to uh, be in that profession you had uh, originally they wanted uh, applicants to be 21 years old um, yeah. and I was 17 18 years old when I first learned of this so uh, my first step was to plant uh, an experimental vineyard in my family's home in Michigan so that I could kind of get an understanding of what this took not that I had any ideas still at that point um, so that was my first step um, you know uh, I still remember, uh, for my like, I think it was my 18th birthday, maybe it was my 19th birthday, but I asked my mom for um, vineyard posts so I could put in my trellis for some vines. And my mom's like, you're weird. <laughs> <laughs> like most 19 year olds probably are, yeah, I think I was 19. Uh, that's not something someone wants uh, at that age. Um, and then uh, towards the end of my college life, I went to New Zealand um, to try my hand at sort of vineyard work, uh, the summer of 06. Um, that was a short stint. Um, and then I came back graduated turned 21. And then I've been in the wine business ever since, uh, uh, basically as long as I could legally. Um, Mm -hmm. my first stop was in Northern Michigan, uh, in a town called Traverse City, which is along the Lake Michigan shoreline, uh, sort of a maritime climate up there, um, and it, a relatively young industry, going back to maybe the seventies, maybe late sixties. But um, made wine there for a little while, um, and then moved to California in two thousand eight.
1: Well, there you go, and obviously that was where I assume a lot of the opportunity was in this field. I imagine
3: yeah yeah. a lot of the the commercial success in the wine business and there's there's success all over the country but uh, being young and impressionable I thought either I need to go to Oregon, California or go overseas so uh, California seemed uh, at the time and still is uh, in my opinion where where the actions happening.
1: Yeah so that was 2008 so you've been over there for quite a while you've been over there the whole time.
2: Since yeah, then?
3: yeah, since then. Yeah, I mean, initially when I came to California in 08, uh, I packed up my car and thought, uh, maybe this is temporary. Um, kind of left it open ended in my head that maybe I'll go to California a little while, maybe one harvest and then come back. Um, and now that's yeah, 14 15 years ago.
1: My goodness, and so how has that? I mean, obviously very different than what you were used to growing up and where you went to school. So how how has it been? <laughs> I assume you're loving it still because you're still there.
3: <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, it is um, it is a career that uh, if I was a career counselor and I could go back in time and see me in high school, I would recommend this position to me again and again. Um, it really – captures all the things that excites me on a daily basis. Um, wine is tied to an agricultural product and it's cyclical. So, um, you know, right now our, our factory, so to speak, the vineyard is dormant. I'm sit, looking out a window right now at some dormant Chardonnay vines.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: Um, and every year it starts over. So, uh, we'll be pruning our vineyard soon. Um, and, I think the cyclical nature of of what I do is keeps me entertained, keeps me my attention. I love troubleshooting. I love putting together a puzzle, and every year uh, is a new challenge, and every year is sort of a little bit different. So, um, I don't think I have ADD or anything like that, but I, I do need this constant um, troubleshooting to keep my interest. and in, And in so far. Um, the wine industry has not disappointed me on that.
1: Yeah, it definitely keeps you on your toes. Yeah. That is for sure. And so I don't know a whole lot about wine growing, but what are the different, I guess, varieties that you have at Ramsgate and what does that entail to kind of introduce a new variety? I assume it's a very different process for each one. So how does that work?
3: Sure. Um, At Ramsgate, we are... I think uniquely positioned where our vineyard's at in Carneros, where we are able to grow a lot of different wine grape varieties from very light wines like Pinot Blanc, um, which is sort of a grape variety that was popular in Germany or in Alsace and France. So it's a clean, crisp white wine typically. we have that growing here. We also have Chardonnay, Pinot Noir, which is very common in our neck of the woods. Um, but then we also have Grenache growing here. And Grenache tends to be a warm climate, grape variety. Um, so what's what's unique about Ramsgate and sort of what drew me here back in 2018 when I joined is just the diversity of our portfolio of the things that we do. Um, again, keeping my attention on so many different things. So. Uh, we make very clean, crisp white wines. We also make some rich Chardonnays. We make some really compelling, round varieties, so Grenache Syrah blends, GSM. Some people refer to them as, um, and we also dabble in uh, Cabernet. So, very different processes for all of them. And uh, this not being a wine podcast, I won't go into too many details, but. Um, it basically makes our, our harvest a little bit longer in the fall when grapes are harvested. So mm-hmm. we, our process starts in early August and it typically doesn't wrap up until nearly Thanksgiving. So it's a quite an action-packed couple of months uh, when all grapes come in and, and wine is actually created.
1: Cool. My goodness. Yeah. I mean, it's a lot to learn about (laughs) for those of us who don't know too much about it, but out of all the varieties that you mentioned, I don't know if you're able to do this, but do you have a favorite or is that like picking a favorite child?
3: Um, It's very much like picking a favorite child. (laughs) Um, I mean, that is a question that I would assume winemakers get asked all the time. And it's Mm -hmm. a question that I get asked all the time. Um, For me, I would say professionally I've, made, um, a lot of Syrah and Syrah tends to be one of my favorite grape varieties that I work with. Um, but in terms of what I like to drink, uh, as a consumer, you know, it varies quite a bit, depends on the season and the mood. It's kind of like food, you know, Mm -hmm. um, I love fresh, delicious tomatoes in the summertime, but tomatoes in December aren't quite as delicious. So, uh, you know, there's a season for everything.
1: That makes sense. It's a very uh the grapes won't get mad at you for choosing one of them over the other. so very yeah. uh, <laughs> a very neutral answer. they appreciate that, I bet <laughs> yes, yes
3: and and yeah, and I think that's what's fun about wine is um, you know there uh, there is so many so much variety out there uh, that it's hard to say one thing is the only thing.
1: Yeah. So is it within your expertise or do you have an expertise in kind of pairing wines with food or kind of knowing that, you know, you mentioned like Syrahs and, you know, uh, for people who, you know, enjoy eating and drinking but maybe don't know like the best pairings or way to start enjoying and getting more into wines? Is that something that you spend a lot of time recommending to other people or do you have someone on staff over there who does that? I guess how does it kind of go hand in hand with the enjoyment of food?
3: Yeah. Um, it's a great question. Um, couple ways I can answer that. One, um, I feel like wine is part of your dinner table or your lunch table, or it, you know, it's to me, wine is part of the food experience.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: Um, and the style one I prefer to make is one that makes food pairing quite easy. Um, So uh, when I think about a balanced wine, a balanced wine really lends itself to food. Not that any wine that you grab off the shelf is going to go with any food that you make. Um, So that's part of my answer. The second part is at Ramsgate, another kind of compelling element to our brand and what I find very interesting is that we do a wine and food pairing uh, every day that we're open um, Thursday through Monday. And we have a very talented chef here that likes to um, really dissect how a a wine pairing ought to go with food or maybe even rethinking sort of conventional thinking on some of that. Um, Her background is also very uh, Asian inspired. So not only do we have access to some really amazing produce here in, in Sonoma County, but she brings a whole bag of tricks and flavors and ingredients that I'm not even that wise on. So uh, it's been really fun the last five years for me to kind of get a, uh, accustomed to a very large ingredient list. Um, but then on top of that, uh, winemakers, we tend to travel quite a bit, both for fun and for for business. So um, being experienced to some of the country's best food over the last 15 years um, you get to see sort of some interesting um pairings between wine and food. so
1: very fun. That's yeah. like that sounds delightful. <laughs> yeah. Getting to enjoy that. yeah, no, I totally agree. I mean for for me personally, I definitely find wine to be like a huge part of enjoying a nice meal as I mean for myself it's a bit more of like a treat scenario and you know kind of enjoying you know maybe a weekend meal but and you know for someone like you who's way more involved in the wine industry I assume it's more common than that but is is that kind of one of the things that when you meet new friends or you have people in your life that you kind of teach them about and I, I assume you're kind of talking about these things all the time and people love Asking you about it and picking your brain. So, do you spend kind of a lot of time teaching people about how to get involved with incorporating more wine into their meals?
3: Yeah, to a degree. I think um, in my profession, I, I do realize sometimes we're in a bubble. Um, it, it may be the case for you too that food probably takes a whole nother meaning for, yes. for someone like you than maybe the average uh, person. But I, I think a good example is uh, I'm doing a dinner here in a couple of weeks at a, 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 some, a place in Tahoe uh, in California. And my assistant or my uh, analogist, the person that works with me, was on the phone call just listening. And we're talking about the menu that the chef's putting together. And I'm pretty quick to put a wine with that. I'm like, oh, OK, yeah, I think this would go well with that. Um, I think it just comes from experience a little bit, but there are sort of easy recommendations that you can kind of guide one through um, and kind of knowing what's the the chef's flair, you know, what ingredients kind of go well with a certain white wine. Um, I think it just, you know, repetition and experimentation. So if it's not great, and <laughs> you learn from that. Um, I'm not like a, a great chef myself. I like fresh ingredients. I, I think I have a pretty good palate, but knowing how to prepare, I've just kind of seen chefs do it. I, it's sort of like uh, osmosis, but yeah. it, I couldn't probably replicate almost any chef's <laughs> creations. I just, uh, I know what I like.
1: Yeah, well, you definitely seem to be a valuable asset to have at a dinner party of sorts and to be <laughs> um planning planning a meals and wine pairings with you, I'm sure, is um very valuable for your friends and family. So you're doing a uh, you're doing the work for them. Yes. <laughs> All right, we're gonna take a quick break and hear from our sponsors.
2: This episode is brought to you by Wisconsin Cheese. There's a reason when you think of Wisconsin
1: I see that you have a focus on kind of sustainability and those practices over on the vineyard. I guess, tell me a little bit about that and what it is that you are doing at Ramsgate to have more sustainable practices.
3: Sure. Um, I mean, Sonoma County has really made it a, a point as an industry in the grape uh, growing uh, of Sonoma and Napa County, Northern California in general, um, a big push towards sustainability. So there was initiatives um, that were put in place probably now 10 years ago. Um, and at this point, I don't remember the last statistic, but we're probably 98, 99% uh, sustainable as an industry from a grape growing industry. So that may not be the case for all you know different food products. Um, and coming to Ramsgate, I was really excited initially. So my background was horticulture, which is uh, you know plant science essentially, um, and then analogy and viticulture is the science of wine and, and grape growing. But I had never really had an opportunity to be sort of a more, more hands-on farmer aspect uh, of my background. So Ramsgate has been a really fun uh, challenge the last five years of really getting involved with that. So we started off sustainable and then there's a California Sustainable Wine Alliance. So we have that certification as well. So both our winery and our our vineyard have had that certification. Um, There's also another uh, certification called fish-friendly farming. So basically... It ties with sustainability, but making sure any farming practices don't affect uh, rivers and creeks, that there's potential of runoff. So being very conscious about what we are putting in our vineyards or our soil. Um, And then starting in 2019, I started the process of transitioning our farming practices to organic. Um, And then even some of our practices now are what I would call beyond organic or beyond what would be required for the certification. So uh, one of those elements is using livestock for some of our farming. Um, Each spring we have a very large flock of sheep that come to our property and do our mowing uh, for us so that we don't have to use mechanical or tractors at all uh, to do our mowing in our vineyard. Um, And then once the grapevines start growing, We have also decided, and this is beyond organic as well, to eliminate herbicides. Um, There's a common misconception that organic farming, whether it's tomatoes or grapes, that there's no herbicides or sprays used. Um, Mm -hmm. But the reality is it's um, organic products that can be used for that. So it's potentially less impactful, but there are things like copper that can be sprayed that is technically an organic compound, but copper can cause toxicity in your soil if you're not careful. Um, So there's just things like that where we've decided as a, as a company that we're not going to use herbicides at all. Um, And, and as a result, um, thankfully technology has caught up in the wine industry where there's a lot of options out there that make that a possibility uh, 10 years ago, uh that might've been much more difficult. So there's a lot of tractor implements that we can add that can rototill or weed whack underneath vines, but it doesn't require a human to like walk down a row and weed whack. That's just super labor intensive and, and very costly. So there's been a lot of advancements that have made that way more possible.
1: Very cool. So definitely a very high priority. I mean, I figure in California, it's definitely the type of place where these things are like very, very top of mind, but <laughs> you did not prove me wrong. And yeah, I mean, its is that kind of doing the work in that way for you, I guess, rewarding? Or do you kind of hope that it spills over into maybe other areas of the country to produce wine in this way? Or I guess what are your kind of hopes with that?
3: Yeah, I think getting back to my early view of what the wine industry was when I was a kid. Um, to me, I've always kind of felt like the wine industry is a luxury. Um, it definitely enhances our lives. Uh, wine is a great accompaniment to some great moments in people's uh, lives, but um, it's not a necessity. And I, I always say that. And I mean, it is my livelihood, but uh, the world wouldn't end if wine stopped. Uh somebody right. May argue with me on that, but uh, <laughs> so I think we have an extra obligation to be thoughtful uh, and being stewards of our land, um, not just for our business and our employees, but kind of long term view of what what obligations do we have for the future and our kids and our kids' kids so, uh, to me, it is a great time to be in that industry where there's just tons of technology and tons of people wanting to do more. Um, so it's really exciting. It's another element of uh, learning and growing that I still have a lot to do. I don't have all the answers,
0: mm-hmm.
3: but it's just it's just another element to, to kind of witness and um, don't really know at least for me, I don't know what that implies for our business long-term, but I want to say that we're moving in a direction where our business is now sustainable, could be sustainable for decades or centuries if if we continue down this path where we can be very thoughtful in all the things that we do, uh, both growing and making uh, of wine.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And then what are your aspirations, I guess, as a winemaker? Where, what does your career look like from here? I, I'm not super privy to I guess the career path of (laughs) winemakers and what's kind of out there. So what do you, what do you hope for yourself?
3: I I don't know. I think ultimately uh, for me, as long as I continue to be challenged um, professionally and and organic has definitely uh, created that there are easier ways to farm um, I'm finding. And, you know, I always have to kind of tell myself, you know, yes, going organic may not have the the outcomes like from a a plant vigor standpoint that we may feel in year one, but maybe in year 10, we are going to see really the effects of that. And and so it's always kind of like uh, inspirational that we're we're moving in the direction. We don't necessarily know what's going to come, but it's exciting to kind of wait and see. Um, But from a winemaking standpoint, I would say that organic in itself doesn't necessarily yield better wine, but the process of becoming organic, I do think it has an impact. So um, we have less tools to work with as, as a farmer when you're deciding to go organic. So that means that you need to be really attentive. You have to be very aware of what's going on around you. That timing becomes really important with farming. So you can't necessarily say, oops, I I didn't see that weather coming. Now I can just spray something and it will fix everything. It's like, well, if you didn't, you you missed your window. Now you kind of have to pay the consequences. So um, it just requires us to be way more present uh, on a daily basis, which I think a lot of us Want to be both in our careers, but also just being outside. You have to be outside. You like it forces you to. Let's go for a walk. Like in your profession and everyone's profession, do you have that <laughs> that thing that right. like oh we need to go walk through a vineyard? Like oh boy, this is terrible.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, you know,
3: so it's just it it and then. Being observant then requires you to notice these little details and I think those little details then add up to how are we gonna vinify these grapes differently because we saw something in March or in May or or two months before we harvested. It, it just I think lends itself to being more informed and making a better finished product
1: yeah absolutely. And this also kind of just popped into my mind, but is there a way to kind of prepare for or mitigate the effects of what unfortunately is kind of a reality in California with just the wildfires and other you know natural issues that always seem to be popping up is obviously that's a huge huge impact on what your business is. so how do you guys manage that?
3: yeah no uh it's it's also something on our minds. I think you have to um. And I think even at being a farmer in Michigan or a farmer in New York or wherever you're at in the world, I think the impacts of climate change are, are seem to be fairly obvious to me. Yeah. Um, and I think from a professional standpoint, it's been um, an interesting decade to be a winemaker in California. Yeah. Um, when I talk to, uh men and women that are much older than me that have been in the industry, say since the seventies or eighties, what we are witnessing now, um, you know, we've seen in my, in my short tenure in California, we've seen the driest um, vintages on record. Um, We've seen the wettest um, on record. We've seen the most devastating fires in Northern California since the sixties. Um, And now we are now witnessing uh, an incredible amount of rain Um, since uh, right around Christmas, Hanukkah, uh, we've had a tremendous amount of uh, storms that literally we, I mean, I'm not a meteorologist and I don't track the weather that closely, but it feels like the most intense series of storms that I've witnessed being a resident of California in,
1: California. Mm-hmm. in
3: 15 years. So uh, I guess from one angle um, I was, I tell people that we're probably more um, more tried and, and trained at, as winemakers this past decade than probably any other generation of winemakers, which means I think we're more, we have more tr- tools uh, for handling these now. I think the outlook is, is, uh, one of kind of curiosity, but there is some concern. Just I think for everyone, uh, not just here in California, but just what does this world look like for my kids, and how do they? How's this going to impact them? Right. Um, you know, and I think that's that's a concern, and maybe a parent always has that concern, regardless. But it does seem like things are progressing in a way that um, seems to be more extreme.
1: Yeah. Absolutely. So, I mean, beyond just the actual, you know, the grapes and the livelihood and everything out there, just as, you know, safety and well-being of your children and your grandchildren and all that, it's a lot to be concerned about. But, you know, you're very, very close to it by having your work, you know, people who either work from home or work in an office or, you know, aren't as beholden to like the well-being of the land to support their livelihood are maybe not as privy to these, you know, kind of drastic changes as you are. So yeah, it seems like you kind of have a front row seat to everything that's happening over there, which I'm sure can be a little anxiety inducing at times, I imagine.
3: Yeah, at times. But I think that's where it get, gets back to, I think, as an industry, the the focus on sustainability is in one small aspect, maybe our way of trying to combat long term effects of climate change. So Uh, I'm really, as as a whole, kind of impressed and excited to be a part of uh, an industry that sustainability is really important to. Um, And I'm sure there's other industries. It's just one that I happen to, to know a lot about.
1: Yeah. No kidding. Well, that's all super cool and like really fascinating to hear about from your perspective. Was there anything else super important about the winemaking process or your journey that I haven't asked you yet?
3: I mean, we could spend all afternoon. um, uh, A rabbit
1: hole of sorts.
3: Yeah. No, I I think that um, what I would leave any listener is that wine is all about exploration. Um, I think that's what draws a lot of people to it um, compared to maybe some other uh, beverages. And as a result, I think there's this... um, this connotation that wine is sort of stuffy and, and when people talk about it, it can be kind of um, feeling like it's an elite beverage. And I think what I would say is that uh, the people that I know who grow and and make wine tend to be very humble and um, fun loving people that have mud on on their shoes like I do right now. And um, you know, it's, it's a, product of hard work. Um, but most of us don't have it all figured out. So I think just always being open and curious about wine, you're going to discover and have a lot of fun. Uh, if you decide to kind of explore the world of wine, it does not have to be stuffy.
1: Well, lovely. You've definitely inspired me to drink some wine this weekend. That's for sure. (laughs) I was probably going to anyway, but now I'm even more excited to do so after learning from you and kind of hearing you talk about it. Um, and so, yeah. Thanks for sharing just even this slight tidbit of your knowledge with us. It's been um, very cool to to learn about. So I appreciate you.
3: Yeah. Yep. And you know, we are we're we're open. You know, um, wine country. You just gotta. Well, for us, we're only about thirty minutes from San Francisco. So nice. maybe forty minutes from San Francisco Airport. Um, it's accessible. Um, we're making some delicious, fun wines that. Um, you don't need a some degree or you don't need some um, crazy level of education to come and have a good time.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I, ne- I need to get back out there. I've, I haven't been in years, so I've been kind of chomping at the bit. So maybe this is my sign yep. to get back out there to wine country. <laughs> aye, aye, aye. Well, thank you so much for being here. I really appreciate you, Joe.
3: Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me.
1: Of course. Thank you so much for listening. To learn more about the food and drink discovery platform that is The Feed Feed, head to thefeedfeed.com. If you have a food story to tell or want us to interview a blogger, cookbook, author, chef, or restaurateur, we would love your suggestions. Just send us a DM on Instagram. See you next time. The Feed Feed podcast is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. Keep in touch at heritageradionetwork.org slash subscribe.